Well, good morning, Machias family, my church family, my forever family. Um, it's going to be an interesting day. We'll see. I say that a lot, though, don't I? Oh, this was a weird sermon for me. Oh, this was a weird sermon for me. I need this. First, I'm going to need my kids. Hey, guys. <laughs> you guys are so cool. I have a, something we're going to do today. I want to give you all two quarters. Can you hold on to them? Don't lose them. How many of you are there? Six. All right. Well, we'll have to contribute a few more to someone else. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> Um, sit down for a second. <clears throat> really, I would like to bring you all up. This is an object lesson for you. I wish you were all just sitting right here like this. Um, okay, this is something that's really kind of confusing at times. Oops. Like, how do you get this open? All right. Here's what we're going to do. These are what? Let's, let's read them. Good-looking, athletic, smart, rich, famous, high achiever. I do things really good, or I'm just a good person. Everybody needs a sense of who they are. We call that an identity. And that identity has to kind of define who we are inside and what makes us valuable. Why do we matter? Why does our life matter? And so we put that in different places to build who I am. Okay, so here are some things that people do. So here's what I'm going to have you guys do one at a time. You come up and you take your quarters and you put them in one of these dishes, one at a time. We can just start over here with Claire. And you just pick one. Oh, Claire wants to be smart. No, put, put them both in there. Yeah, okay. We'll put that. So that's Claire. I'm pouring Claire into the smart bowl. Okay. Ben, you come up, or uh, you come up. Oh, he wants to be a good person. I'm just good. I, I, I don't get into trouble, and, and, and I just make the right decisions. That's, that's a good one. Okay, so there, we're pouring you into that bowl, Ben. All right? How about you, Paxton? Oh, he wants to be he wants to be a good person too, so we're gonna pour a little bit of him in there. All right, how about you? Nolan, come on up. Oh, Nolan wants to be famous. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna pour you in there, Nolan. All right, how about you, Zane? 
Rich, okay. Okay, Dad, there you go. Taking care of Andy and Lisa in their old age. Um, there we go. We're going to pour, pour a little bit of, uh, of Zane in there. Okay. There you go. What are you going to be? Okay, she wants to be athletic. Okay. Athletic. Now, I'm going to pour some in the other ones, too, because um, I'll just say, look, I would like to be a high achiever. Good luck with that, Tim. And good lucking. We know that didn't happen. So I'll pour a little bit of me in both of those. Okay. All right. There's a problem here. There's a problem here. If I put this into good-looking, first of all, what will you notice? Is there anything on top of here holding this in? No. What happens when the world starts getting a little bit longer in my eyes and I get a little bit older and pretty soon... I'm not good-looking anymore. What happens to my sense of who I am then? What if it goes away? What if, I, what if something happened to me and, and all of a sudden my, my face was really burned or something happened and, and all of a sudden I, I'm, not, I'm not good looking anymore? I really want to be good looking so people would like me, but now I'm not. How do I deal with that? Okay, athletic. Oh, I'm young and I'm strong and, and then I get injured really badly and... The world is shaking me up, and all of a sudden my value's gone because I can't do sports anymore, or I'm not as good as I was. And a lot of people who are professional athletes deal with that when, when their career is over. I don't know who I am anymore. I was this person that was so good at sports. It defined me. Smart, yeah. <clears throat> Trust me on this one. As you get older, it's going to go. <laughs> All right, oh, and the world is bad, and, and things are happening. I'm getting older, and all of a sudden, I wake up, and I'm not the smartest person in the room anymore. Not that I ever was, but, um, oh, boy, how am I going to deal with who I am? Or, or I, I, I'm really putting my hope in who I am in the things that I could ac accumulate, and I got money, and it provides me security, and, and then all of a sudden, there's a global economic slowdown, and... All that thing that I put my value in is gone. Oh, and famous. If I just, I, my, I really, if I could just be an influencer on YouTube, my life would be so great. People would know who I am. They would think I'm really cool. And, but then time moves on, and maybe I'm the guy today, and pretty soon, talk to some of these out-of-work actors. It's not going to last. And, and number two, it's, it's not going to give you what you really want. Okay, what about high achiever? I just Everything I do is successful, and, and, and I am this person who can do things. And when I, when I, I'm very competent, and, and, and so I'm building an identity for myself around that, and then all of a sudden something comes along and knocks me down, and I can't figure it out, and I find out that I can't do it all myself. And my value is gone, and I don't know what to do. 
Or I'm just a good person. Yeah, I, I'm pretty good. I don't, I don't cause a lot of trouble. But then I find out that I'm still making mistakes and, and I did something terrible I never thought I would do. And ever, everybody's looking at me differently now. And I'm not the nice guy anymore. I, I'm that guy that did that thing. None of these work, kids. None of these work, kids. Well, we'll leave, we'll leave them out here. There's one that works really well. It's this one. It brings with it a lot of value that you didn't have to contribute. And guess what? It has a lid. It's called God's Holy Spirit. And it seals me in. It seals the value that I have so that when life comes and it shakes me up and it turns me upside down, all of the value that I have is still there. Because it's not based on what I do. It's not based on what I think. It's not based on what other people think. It's based on the value that I have when God adopts me into his family. And it can never be taken away. And it never diminishes. And it never changes. Because it comes from God, not people. It's a hard one to think about, isn't it? Now, today you guys don't... It was normally going to be communion day, so we don't have any children's church. So hopefully, um, if you guys are sitting out there listening to the rest of what I have to say, you'll keep this part of it in mind, because this is for you. How am I going to grow up my little kids' gym kids? And some that aren't so little. But, and really take full advantage of who I am. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Thanks for coming up. I am purposely going to leave those things out here for you. And I'm going to ask you a question. And you're going to think, wow, this is a weird thing for today's passage. And I thought it was too, for a while. Where'd you put your quarter? Quarters. Where'd you put your quarters? It has a great deal to do with how you live your life, how you handle trial, how you handle the difficulties of life that cause you to question who you are and what you're worth. Where is my value? Because if I didn't put my quarters in the right bowl, at some point you're in big trouble. This was a long time coming for me. I believe God was working in my life 
for a long time to bring me to where I am coming up and sharing with you on a consistent basis on a Sunday and trying to shepherd you and pastor you. And I, I clearly see uh, none of those things work and that my own power was never going to get it done. Now I'm asking you, as we have been talking about, um, for me, really understanding that I am not just a pastor but a missionary and that God planned for me to be here in a village missions church so that both the, the small body of believers and the pastor recognize that they've been given a mission. And I'm asking you now to go out and share the hope and the, and the peace and the joy that you have as Christians with others. But I need you to be, and you need to be, and God needs you to be very firm in your understanding of who you are. Because it's pretty scary out there at times. Um, this is something that God has been working on me for a while. Partially, as I've shared with you in the past. Because within my family, I have some that I dearly, dearly love that have bought into the lies of culture. And I was trying to reach out to them, and so I was trying to understand how did my world change so drastically, so quickly? And it was the rise of postmodern thinking, starting in the 60s, shortly after I was born. And there has been a drastic change in the majority of our culture's worldview. How do I look at the world? How do I look at myself in the world? And it is very anti-Christian in that, okay, I don't necessarily believe in God. I don't believe that sin is something that you can define for me. I don't believe that there's an afterlife. I don't think there's a heaven or a hell. I don't believe I need to be saved. And so, Tim, what do you have for me? I was trying to understand, how did we get here? How did we get here from where I believed my world was to now where these types of things where identity, sexuality, and truth are under attack and are being redefined for us by our culture and I see it seeping into the church. Not your church, not our church here, not this body here, but in Christianity in North America as we will see. I read, I was reading a couple of books because I'm trying to understand how did the people that I live around get so far away from what I know to be the truth of our reality, the biblical worldview. It is the truth. Whether they agree with it or not, whether they accept it, whether they're ignorant of it, whether they reject it, not, never mind. doesn't matter. It's true. That part I know. That is an advantage that we have. We believe what's true. And it is true. 
no matter how many people say it's not. But how did we get here? And so I, I've written a couple books. Uh, one of them was Making Sense of God by Tim Keller. And it was, it was, it was, he had started a ministry in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan, very, very liberal center. And he was facing the same kinds of challenges. How do I present Christ to a postmodern, extremely radically left worldview? And so I was just trying to understand, and he, there was some sociology in there about how people think and how, how identities are formed and how ideologies happen. And so it gave me a little bit of background to understand, what am I dealing with as I go out into this postmodern culture where there is no absolute truth? Right and wrong can be defined by whoever wants to do it, as long as you have your right and wrong and I have my right and wrong and you don't try to impose yours on me. And everything else is up for grabs. How did we get here? And, and, and how do I then interact with those people to share the hope that I have? And so it, it helped give me an understanding about the thinking of, of people and how did they get there. I was reading another book recently called The Great Dechurching by Jim Davis and Michael Graham. And it was, they had spent some time trying to figure out why is church membership declining so badly? And what, what, how, do we, how do we get these people back? And they got a bunch of rich people to come together and donate money, and they hired some research firms to go out and do some interviews and find out why are people no longer going to church? There's been a 40% decrease since 2005 in regular church attendance in the United States. 40% since 2005. What's going on? So I was reading through that book because kind of, I was kind of interested to see, well, you know, what, what, what are they thinking and, and uh, are there people out there that decided that church is no longer relevant? But something even more shocking was revealed. So they had broken down the people that are, they call them de-churched, people that once went to church on a regular basis and no longer do. And they broke them down into these four categories. Uh, I can give them to you. I'm not going to try to explain this. But it's the cultural Christians, which we can say, well, you know, were they just there for the social aspect of it? Did they, were they actually saved or not? And they're saying, well, you know, there's a potential that they weren't really saved, but, but we want to get them back so they can be saved. And then there was the mainstream evangelicals, and, and then there's evangelicals, and then there is the BIPOC, or the black, indigenous, people of color group. And so they separated them into those categories. Oh, and they also had um, Protestant and Catholics that had left the church. And then they were starting to define some things about each one of these groups so that I could differentiate, okay, well, well this group is of this certain, has, a, has a, a predominance in this particular education or uh, economic level. And so, but but here's, here's what was shocking. And then it got down to where they stood in theology. Each one of these groups had some strengths in their beliefs of theology. <laughs> And it was shocking. So I went back to the sources that they were using and, and, and saw some of the data that they were compiling. And let, let me read you a list of things real quick. The percentage of 
professing Christians of all of these groups combined who believe in God with absolute certainty, 76%. That find Christianity to be a very important part of their life, 68%. Regularly attend church, 47%. Pray frequently, 68%. Believe that the Bible is the absolute standard for right and wrong, 38%. Read their Bible at least once a week, 45%. Believe there's a heaven, 85%. Believe in hell, 70%. Believe that homosexuality is actually acceptable to God, 54%. Strongly favor same-sex marriage, 44%. Believe that Christianity is the only way to heaven, 70%. And believe that the Bible is fully inspired by God and completely inerrant, 55%. So I'm thinking, man, you got a lot bigger problems than getting people back into church. What are they hearing when they get there? If they don't believe that there's a God, what's the point? If they don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, how can they strongly hang on to anything of God and believe it's true? The problem, so I'm thinking, man, the problem is not they quit going to church. The problem is they haven't been taught the truth of God when they got there. I'm so glad now that we went through our statement of faith and preached through it because God has given me the responsibility as your shepherd, it was one of your shepherds, to make sure that you not only knew how to come to God, but you knew the entire truth of God's Word to apply it to your life so that these lies that are out there in culture do not drag you away. I want to be sure I do that. That's why knowing what you believe and why you believe it is a predominant theme of this church. Because the lies are there, and it is, it is part of us equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to give you the entire truth of God, not leaving parts out, not giving you a pass if you just say, well, I don't really believe Christianity is the only way to God. Uh, there are other ways. Uh, no, that is not what Scripture says. Does Scripture have something to say about sexuality identity, and truth? Yes. Yes. So I started preparing a sermon on 2 Thessalonians as we finished up 1 Thessalonians. And I have this title. Who you are and why that's important. Picking up the gold that's just laying there on the ground. Here, here is, and I started out and I was going to do the first ten verses. The passage says, first, Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.1. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's a, just a, a salutation. That doesn't really mean anything. That's just kind of there to start things off. And I looked at this and I said, no, 
There's gold laying right there on the ground. I don't even have to dig for it. Now, if you were to go back and read 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2, it's exactly the same. Almost exactly the same. In fact, the one, actually, the first two verses of 2 Thessalonians are encapsulated in the first verse of 1 Thessalonians. And did I preach this sermon then? No. Why? I don't know. God is giving this one to me now. Because as I read this, and here's what I need you to believe, I need you to understand. I did not start with a topic and try to shoehorn it into this verse. I read this verse, and I read verses 1 through 10 thinking, that is a good breaking off point for this. And God kept redirecting me back. Because in my mind, I had this questioning about identity in Christ and what does it mean and have I as a person, Tim Henley, taking, taken advantage of this knowing and having the confidence and the power and the joy and the strength of understanding my identity in Christ. And I got to say, for much of my life, no. So I looked at this and I said, there's some amazing building blocks of my identity in this verse. There are some amazing building blocks for my identity in Christ in this verse. I didn't see them the first time around when I preached on this. So let's look at them. I'm going to take them out of order. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father. The word for father there is, is peter. And it literally means parent. You are God's offspring. He is your parent. You were adopted in to God's family with all the responsibilities and privileges of being a child of God. The identity building block in this verse... Well, first of all, I've got to ask you some questions. <clears throat> Do you believe that God wrote this verse for you? Do you believe that you could insert yourself into this, that, that when Paul was sitting down to write this letter, that he knew that this was going to persevere, and it was the actual words of God, and that it was going to be there for Christians from now until God comes back? I hope you do. Can we put Machias Community Church in there as, as the church of the Thessalonians? Yes, we can. Can I recognize that this was written to me and for me for my benefit, supernaturally inspired by the Holy Spirit, because the spiritual truths that are involved in this are eternal and they're relevant today the same way they were relevant when they were written? You've got to believe those things or this sermon is going to make no sense to you. 
Put your name in there. I, Tim Henley, am a child of God. If I only understood what that really meant all the time, What does it mean to be a child of God? I need and you need identity. Who are you? Who do you think you are? I believe God created us with a need for an identity. With every Every person has a soul, and every soul needs to know who it is. God created us that way because his intention was to give us identity. But when sin broke the relationship with God, man began to fall away from the identity he had as a child of God and create his own. And it crushes your soul. Eventually, it will fail. God, our Father, we are children of God. John, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it didn't know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, knowing that we're in this process of transformation to being a full-fledged child of God, completely restored back to our original design, and so we could have intimacy with God. But it's out there. But we know this, that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. As a child of God, God has promised to perfect me again, restore me back, and lavish me with love. I am a child of God in a world that is broken, in a body that still has a sinful fleshly nature and in surrounded by demonic forces and other broken people who do not know God. Which makes this whole process of walking through life, even as I've been saved, even as I'm being transformed by the Holy Spirit, somewhat confusing at times. So we need to really understand and appreciate and activate the benefits of being a child of God. Because when you start putting some of your quarters in that bowl, but some of them are in some of the other bowls, you are going to have problems because it's unsustainable. We will get to that. God our Father. Let's look at the next one. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church 
of the Thessalonians in God our Father, to the church. And that word is the ecclesia or the called out ones. This is part of who you are. This is part of your identity now. You, among billions of people, God said, not just you as a group, not just you, but you personally insert your name. I called you out into this group now, my children. And now you belong to something that matters, that is bigger than you. Everybody wants to think I matter. Everybody wants to think I'm involved in something bigger than just me. This is it. God has gifted you by calling you into his called out ones by name, my sheep. I know them by name. When they hear my voice, they come. You are his sheep. By name, he knows you, and he called you out. The identity building block is we have been called out by God, by name, to serve him and love him. People out in the world are struggling for an identity that gives them some sort of meaning and purpose in your life, and God gifts us with that by calling us out as a group to to these small individual groups that is something bigger than ourselves to serve Him and love Him and give us meaning and purpose and identity in our lives. Have you put your quarter in that bowl? Do you understand how valuable it is, how how, how confidence-building it is to know that God directed you out of the world into his family and into the church that is a body of Christ supernaturally giving you a gift to edify that entire body so that you can successfully do the will of God and build God's kingdom on earth? Be part of God building his kingdom using you. That is a purpose that you have in your life. It never goes away. You do not retire from it. You do not get too old to participate. I have a purpose and meaning in my life because God called me into his church. And he is doing supernatural things and we get to watch and we get to be part of it. Praise God, I feel good about that. Simon Peter replied to Christ after he had had asked him, well, Jesus said, well, are you going to leave? And and everybody's leaving because the things I'm saying are offensive. And he says, well, no, we're not going to leave. You have the very words of life. And he said, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? What are the other people saying? Well, they think you're a prophet or Jeremiah. Who do you say? And Peter replied, you're the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, pebble, and on this rock, Petra, uh, uh, we will build my church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is building his church. You're one of them. You're a little pebble in the big rock of God's church. And even though we're small, even though Machias is small, it doesn't matter. 
We're in God's church. He can do anything through his church. And he instituted it. And so understand this. Because this church membership is going down. And and people don't realize this. I was saved into church. The called out ones. I wasn't just saved as an individual. I was saved as an individual into the family of God. Given a gift for a specific purpose of building up the entire body of Christ so that we can become mature and complete and do God's will of building his kingdom and helping to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. It's not an option in Scripture, people, to say, well, I'll just be a Christian. I love God. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. doesn't really matter whether I'm fellowshipping with a group. doesn't really matter if I'm using my spiritual gift. doesn't really matter if I sit home on a Sunday because I'm just too tired or I'd rather watch football or whatever. It's not an option in Scripture. I say the problem with people quitting church is that they don't understand the Bible. And we don't have to have some sort of gimmicks to bring them back. We just have to say, look, while you are here, are you hearing the truth of Scripture that should be directing your life and showing you why, for your benefit and God's glory, you should be in a church? No, we have other problems, and so we're trying to figure it out some other way. But that's, that's the problem here. Not that people are quitting church, but that people who claim to be Christians have not submitted themselves to the authority of Scripture that tells them, for your good and my glory, I put you together as a church. Not just individual Christians in the world, because I have something to do, and I am willing to use you broken knuckleheads to do it. We were saved into the church. That's part of who I am. And whether you want to believe it or not, that's part of who you are as well. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When God says, I'm saving you and bringing you into the family of God, and I am assembling you now as my church, there is, the church actually means, or the, uh, the Catholic church, which I know that gives you other ways your mind can go, but what it really means is the universal church. Do you belong to the universal church? Yes. And it, and it is made up of all believers for all time, all of God's family, that's it. Okay. Does that mean I get to sit home in my, on my sofa and say, yeah, I'm part of the church. What, do you, what church do you go to? I, go, I belong to the universal church. We don't meet, though. Um, I'm just part of it. Paul is writing this to this church. Now, we get to insert our name in there. And I, but I, think, I believe one of God's points that he's making is, no, 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 I called you to these small groups that I put together for you as an example in my scriptures and say, look, Paul was starting churches wherever he went. Peter was establishing churches. We had a church because God knows that in order for you to use these supernatural gifts that I've given you to edify the entire body, to do my will and build my kingdom here, um, I need to segregate you into smaller groups so that you can actually function as a body Body and have, have all the parts that the body needs because it doesn't, it doesn't work in a warehouse full of parts that don't actually function together. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in small groups 
And that is part of your identity in Christ is that, now I know God can move his parts around, but, but here is part of your identity. You're a Christian at Machias Community Church. Now, could God move you to another church? Absolutely. But while he's got you here, he has a job for you. He has a job for you not at the church down the street, here. I'm calling them together. And can I move them around? Sure, no problem. Uh, have I moved around? Sure, I have. But I have to know, part of my identity is that God intends me to be identified with a small group of Christians somewhere for the purpose of being equipped to do the work of the ministry, but to use my gifts to edify all those around me. As iron sharpens iron, we build one another up. As we make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples. God's will for your life is to be identified with a local body of Christians using the gifts he's given you and then taking those, that information and those skills that you've gotten as you're being equipped to do the work of the ministry out into the mission field of your life. Identity building block. We are called to a specific local group to function as a family and a body, each contributing to the benefit of the whole to do the work and will of God. The final one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of God, but Jesus is our Lord and our Christ, which means Messiah. Lord, Curio, supreme authority, absolute ruler and commander. And Christ means Messiah or Savior. Jesus is both your Savior and Lord. Identity building block. We belong to Christ as his subjects, but also his bondservants. We sacrificially serve him and love him as our Lord and our Savior. He purchased us with his blood, giving us eternal value and worth. Part of your identity is you no longer belong to yourself. Get over it. Your life is no longer your own. That is part of who I am. See, I now am a steward, not an owner. And if I don't understand that, I'm not going to get the benefits of being a child of God the way God intends them to be now. And so I have to recognize as I get up every morning and start making decisions that part of my identity is I am a servant of God under the authority of Jesus, his son, who bought me with his blood. And I now belong to him. That is who you are. That is your identity. Part of your identity in Christ is that I'm a bondservant. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. It goes against our nature. It goes against our sinfulness. It goes against our selfishness. It goes against our brokenness. I want to be in control of my life. And part of my identity that actually works, that I need to work, is that no, that is not true. I belong to God. And it takes some faith, and you have to overcome the fear, and you have to overcome your stubborn selfishness, and you have to give yourself to God 100% because part of your identity is, I will use you for your good and my glory. That's a hard one for us. Uh, I'll accept the salvation of Jesus Christ. I'll accept him as Messiah, but I, a lordship? What? I don't get to call the shots at all? No, you don't. So now we're going to talk a little bit 
about identity. Because here, here, here's why I'm, I wanted to take you through these building blocks of who you actually are. And this is just part of it. This is just part of it that appeared in this verse. There are other aspects of who you are that are identified clearly in Scripture that you need to embrace. But part of why we come together, part of why I preach God's Word, is that you need to take God's Word and apply it in real life to what's going on out there. And right now, we are in a crisis in our world, and let me tell you, Pacific Northwest is two, one of two of the most unchurched, unreligious, if you want to call it, unaffiliated with God areas in our country. Washington, Oregon, California, um, New England area. These liberal ideologies regarding sexuality, identity, and truth are very prevalent probably in the workplace you are in, unless you have a small company or you own the business. All of the messages that you're hearing in movies and TV shows and music and on media and on social media and on the Internet, the messages that are lies regarding identity are pervasive and almost unbelievably prevalent. I want you to be aware of who you are, but I want you to be aware of what's going on out there. Um, so let's talk about identity just a little bit. I've given you some identity blocks. Identity, what is it? It is a sense of self, a sense of self-worth and value and significance. It is the essence of who you are, what defines you, and it is a soul need of all people. I believe that to be true. Everybody is seeking some sort of an identity. God is giving it to you. To be successful, not only do you need an identity, but you need one that is successful. You, in order to survive out there, in order to counteract the lies that you're hearing, you have to recognize that identity needs certain things to actually work in real life. And this is going to be key as you are going to look, we're going to talk about how do I use this to my advantage as I share my faith in a postmodern world. First, it must be consistent, durable, accepted by the person, but also valued as good. So first of all, it has to work. I have to have an identity that is durable and consistent. It can't change all the time. Now, we hear those things. Just go out and reinvent yourself. Reinvent yourself. Figure out who you are because what happens most of the time is the, the way I was trying to define myself has abandoned me. It's not consistent. It's crushing me. i got to go find something else to redefine myself. Sorry about that. Thank you. Because when I put my quarter in one of those, the things that I was telling the kids happens and I have to redefine myself because my identity has been wrapped up in something that is not durable. The middle one with the lid on it never changes. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can change the value of it. Nothing can redefine it except you if you want to accept a lie. It cannot be earned. 
A successful identity cannot be earned. And so we see that, we see that in people around us, and sometimes we, su- we succumb to the temptation to feel like an I- my identity must be earned, and it's always going to fail. Why? Because we always fail. At some point, in some way, we always fail. I had a conversation, I know it's going to prolong the sermon a little bit, with Travis, Ben Overbeck, and I was asking, I was like, Travis, you know, how do you, after you have completed the seven summits, is, is there some sort of a void left in your life because did, did you put your identity, I'm a, I'm a world-class mountain climber, and now I'm done? And he said, no, I didn't. I just enjoyed God's creation when I was up there. And I said, well, here, here, let me explain to you a little bit about my life. And I poured myself into my business and worked insane amount of hours and neglected my family and put my hope in the success of my business because I allowed my quest to be successful in business to become my identity. I was ashamed to say it, but I know that it's true. I had something to prove from a small kid. And I didn't care about money. I really didn't care about fame. But I had something to prove. I'm just as good as you. And here's how I'm going to show you. I I put everything I had into that. And God took it away. The greatest gift in my life, besides my family and my salvation, was that God bankrupted my business. Because I had put part of my identity in it. And it failed. But here is the good news. After that happened, a lot of people were like, man, are you just crushed by this? And I was at first. But then I found it to be absolutely liberating. I was set free. That was the change in my life that led me here. As I quit putting all of my identity in that, or most of my identity in that, and focused on what God wanted. It was a long, rocky path, folks. And I had succumbed to the temptation to define myself by my accomplishments in business. And it was and God took it away, all of it. Everything I'd worked for for about twelve years was gone practically overnight. And I was humbled, but it was unbelievably liberating. For an identity to work and be successful, it must be consistent, durable, accepted, and valued as good. So you have to see, I'm not, I'm not striving for an identity that I think is horrible. I don't want to be a career criminal because, yeah, that's really cool and everybody's going to like me and that's who I am. No, I'm trying to be something else. It has to be accepted, though. You can have an identity, but does it work for you if you don't accept it? Back in the day, as we're going to be talking about here soon, identities were pretty much assigned in primitive cultures, uh, back in some of the early, earlier times, I was my tribe, or I was my village, or I was whatever type of profession my family was in. Whether I was a cobbler, I was a blacksmith, that was my identity. That was what I was expected to do. But if I didn't accept that, 
Oh, what do you mean you're not going to? We've always operated the store. You can't leave now. We've always had the farm. That's who we are. We're farmers. But if I don't accept that, it's not a workable identity. So I have to be accepted, and it has to be valued as good. And it must be a sign, not earned. Because when I try to earn it, I always fail at some point. And even if I don't fail in the eyes of others, I know down deep I've failed. And so the only workable, successful, durable identity is one that's been assigned to you. Now, culture is trying to assign you an identity all the time. Trying to say you're this or you're that. Now, we, up until about the 60s, this thing started to change. It was buy into the American dream. Not, don't just be faithful. Don't just have a good job. Don't just be uh, you know, a good husband or a good father or whatever it else is you're wrapping your identity around. But I need you to be overachieving in order to be successful. Because look at all the prosperity that's around us. And so we're going to assign you an identity, but it's going to be an untenable standard that you'll never actually reach. And then you're going to get there, and some of you will get there anyway and find out it was, it was all a smoke and mirror. But. So we, we need to be assigned an, an identity for it to work. We're going to see that in just a second. But it has to be assigned by God. Because when we assign ourselves an identity, we put our quarters in the wrong bowl. Because when we assign ourselves an identity, which we're going to see why it's such a problem, we know we're broken. And it doesn't work. So it must be assigned and not earned. An earned identity is something that is destined to fail because we will never live up to our own standard, ever. We are our own worst enemy. Some of you know that. Some of you know this from personal experience. We're going to talk about that. It must be validated from the outside. It must be validated from the outside. You can have an identity, but it has to be validated by others from the outside. You can have an identity and you can say, I'm, I, I, I need it, but I need it to, to be val- I need you to see that I am worthy, that I am valuable, that I, that I do have meaning, that, that there's a reason for me, and that I'm important. We moved away from culturally assigned identity as a culture to this absolutely crushing, horrible place we're at now where we have changed to only you can determine who you really are. Only you can say what your true identity is. And you need to just search inside yourself until you find it. And the worst possible thing that can happen is for you to have stereotypes and traditions try to change who the real you is. You need to fight those. You need to reject all current thinking and do whatever is necessary to just be who you really are. And that is such a horrible, dreadful, soul-crushing lie. And one of the problems with it is, it still needs to be validated. So we see people 
deciding that who they are and what their identity is is based on who they're sleeping with. And so we saw the rise of the LBGTQ movement because this is now who I am. And, and since I have these feelings and emotions, which, by the way, cannot be trusted, only the truth of Scripture. But since I have these feelings and desires and then it creates a goal and it creates who I think I am, I need you to quit telling me I'm bad. And that's where it started. Just quit telling me I'm bad and then I'll be okay. Well, just quit telling me I'm bad and look at me as neutral. Just quit telling me I'm bad and say it doesn't matter. That helped for a while. But then it moves finally to what they are actually craving, what all of us are actually craving is quit telling me I'm bad, quit telling me that it's just okay to do it, and now tell me it's good because I am a champion of society because I've not allowed these standard social mores and tradition to hold me down to what I am. In fact, what I need you to do is affirm me and say I'm good because I'm not conforming to somebody else's idea of what I should be. And so we see these diversity training and acceptance and inclusion training because I desperately need to be validated in my sin. Then it got off of that and moved on to the biggest and most ridiculous aspect of creating an identity when I just say, I don't need, it doesn't matter about science. It doesn't matter how I was born. I get to choose my gender. And once again, I'm a social champion because I'm not allowing the way God made me, the actual science, my physiology to define who I am. I can pick, and now I need you to use this pronoun. Why? Because I need you to validate these choices that I'm making. I, I, it's not enough for me to say I'm, I'm uncomfortable as this gender so I can change, but please don't ridicule me for it. It's not enough to say that's not enough to just say, okay, well, you just, do, you just do whatever you're doing as long as it doesn't affect me, I don't care. No, 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 I need you, I need you to validate me. But guess what? So do you. We all do. Only God has an identity that works. You have value. This is my mom, and I'm going to add to it a little bit. She says, and writes on the cards to all of her grandkids, and we have it written uh, on our house, um, God loves you, and that's what makes you special. But I'm going to add this. God loves you enough that he died for you. Enough that he was willing to put up with your nonsense and restore you back. Enough that he is going to fix you and fix everything around you so that you can live with him intimately for eternity. And that makes you special. Amen. That's what makes you special. And all you got to do is pick up his book, read it for a little while, and he's going to validate it over and over and over again. 
God, I, I need your identity. I need to have that. I need to know that I'm, I'm, I'm valuable, that I have worth, that I am something, that I matter. God says, yeah. But don't think it's about you. Don't think it's about what you're doing. Don't think it's about what you're accomplishing. Don't think, think it's about uh, the way you're born or how you look or, 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 or how popular you are. There's only one real reason that you matter. Because I said you do. And I made you like me. And, I, and then I died to bring you back so that you can be like me again. That's what makes your life worthwhile. That's what makes you valuable as a human being. Because I made you in my image and I died for you. And I will validate that for you over and over and over again. Come to me. Read my word. It's in there. Everything else is going to tell you you don't matter. I see some of my family going on social media trying to find some sort of an identity and validate themselves by putting things out there so other people will just say, yeah, you're, you're good, you're okay. And people sit out there in the anonymity of their computer and trash them. The only safe place to live is as a child of God. You, need, you have an identity. You need an identity. You need it from God, and you need it to be validated constantly. The only place you're going to find that is God. Here's the problem. What do we do with this knowledge Because if I'm not living with the confidence and the strength and the power that this gives me to overcome the lies of the world, I'm going to be tripped up. I'm betting someone here is struggling through their life. Maybe they never got validation from a father or a mother. Maybe they, maybe they never really succeeded in their workplace. Maybe, maybe they've, they've always felt inferior. Maybe they've always felt unloved. Maybe they've always felt insecure. I'm so sorry. But God has your answer. But you have to, you have to, you have to own it. You have to pick it up. It's like walking around dying of thirst in the middle of the Sahara Desert with a backpack full of canteens on, and I don't stop and open them up and take a drink. We are in a culture whose message is destroying it, whose message is you need to create an identity of your own. You need to know when you go out there that that's what's going on. But you also need to be very, very secure in your own identity. And go back to what God has given you as a child of God and take it in and live it and own it. There is so much security 
knowing that God controls everything and he's on my side and he loves me and he's going to work all things together for good and I'm going to be restored eventually. There is so much peace available. There is so much confidence and freedom to know that nothing can happen that doesn't go by God first and he loves me. I may not understand it, may not agree with it, may not like it, but guess what? I know down deep that God is in control. I'm a child of God. I don't need to be worried about the chaos that I live in. If we don't take advantage of our identity, life is going to beat you up. Life beats us up anyway, but it can't have permanent effect on us if we recognize and live in the confidence that as a child of God, I have all of these advantages. God loves me. He's looking out after me. He's in control of all things. Nothing happens outside of him, and, he, and he's always going to work all things together in the end because he loves me for my good. There's a lot of chaos out there. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of hurting people. So the second thing, and I know I'm, we're going to be done. It's very easy to fall into the trap of condemnation of people who have bought into the lie. I'm asking you to go out into the world and deal with people who have these very ideas that I'm telling you about. I feel nothing but sadness for people who have bought into the lie. But what we don't want to do is just go out and condemn them or avoid them or say, yeah, you're part of those weirdo people and you're destroying the culture and you're anti-Christian. I want nothing to do with you. Find ways to interact because they are dying inside. I know this for a fact. That identity is going to kill them. I don't care what they say. Because I know what God's plan is. And when you're outside of God's plan, it's never going to work. Understand that these people truly believe it. And they've bought into a lie that's telling them they can find satisfaction and peace and joy in their life if they can only just find the true self that's hidden somewhere inside them and is probably being contradicted by these traditional norms that we've all lived by. And down inside, they're dying. What they need, and I think, I think if you can find a way to interact with them and love them, that in the end they're going to respond. I think you know God has to do the work. <laughs> but don't write them off. Don't think that they're beyond redemption. Don't think that somehow you know it's, that, that 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 their poison is going to infect you. Be strong in what you know and believe. But recognize that those people are out there, and what they really need is what you have the truth of God's salvation that will give them an eternity with God and an identity here that works. So as you go out, don't avoid the people that you think will never accept God because they're really liberal or they're just going to hate me no matter what I say. What they really need is somebody who loves them and is willing to share the truth. 
God will do the work. He's out there working in the lives of some of those people right now. And they're just waiting for some Christian to come along and share the truth with them. That's what God's asking you to do. That's what I'm hoping to equip you to do. Help to equip you to do. I can't equip you. But I can be faithful to God's calling to me to share the truth of Scripture no matter how painful it is or how anti-cultural it is. So I want you to know, here we started with this one verse in Thessalonians, and in that verse had some really positive building blocks for you to rely on as you go out. Think about it. Review your life and say, have I really put my identity in Christ and taken advantage of all of the benefits that that affords me, or am I somehow limping along because I've added some of these other bowls? The time to buy in 100% right now. See what God will do. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you. Thank you so much for making me a child of God. And I thank you that you, uh, unlike what I would do if, if I were you, I would have given up on me for being so unfaithful for so many times. But you don't do that. And now my identity as a child of God is so secure because your sacrifice covered all my sins and your grace is a constant open door to bring me back. Father, help us all take advantage of that, to see that truth, that it would give us confidence and strength as we go out into a hostile world to share your faith that you've given us with others. Just give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.